titled my message this morning, Raising a Little Cain. In our study last week, when we studied uh, the temptation and the fall of Adam and Eve, we learned several lessons. We learned, for example, that God is not the originator of sin. Evil came into the world in spite of his warning that our first parents should not become involved in it. They should not go and taste of the fruit of that tree. And we learned that evil or sin came without a necessary cause. That is to say that Adam and Eve were not hungry when they ate the forbidden fruit. They were not. In fact, they were living in abundance. Everything in the garden was perfect and was placed there to minister to their needs. They had no need to sin, and therefore their sin was inexcusable. Our study last week taught us as well that sin did not originate out of ignorance. Adam and Eve sinned deliberately and willfully. They may not have been aware of the consequences of their actions, but they had been warned not to become involved in sin, and they knew that what they were doing was contrary to the will of God, the will of the Creator. Eternal life was free to them as long as they remained obedient, but when they disobeyed, that was withdrawn. They no longer had access to the tree of life. In fact, an angel with a fiery sword was placed by the tree so that they couldn't go and eat from it. And finally, we learned that Genesis 3.15 was a messianic prophecy. Now that their natures had been changed by the fall, they were incapable of obedience by themselves. They could not save themselves from their sins. The great conflict in which they found themselves demonstrated that they needed a savior, and Genesis 3.15 said that they had one. It told them that Christ would come and crush the serpent's head. At creation, God had said that disobedience would result in death. Satan had said the opposite. He said that disobedience would result not in death, but in greater knowledge. And in our study for this morning, the story of Cain and Abel will discover that God told the truth and that Satan is indeed a liar from the beginning. Our scripture lesson for this morning is found in uh, the first 15 verses of Genesis 4. Genesis 4, the first 15 verses. The Bible says, Now Adam knew Eve his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground of the of the of, fruit of, of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat. 
And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. So the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? And why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin lies at your door, and its desire is for you, but you should rule over it. Now Cain talked with Abel, his brother. And it came to pass when they were in the field that Cain rose up against Abel, his brother, and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? And he said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed from the earth, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you till the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. A fugitive and a vagabond, you shall be on the earth. And Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is greater than I can bear. Surely you have driven me out this day from the face of the ground. I shall be hidden from your face. I shall be a fugitive and a vagabond on the earth. And it will happen that anyone who finds me will kill me. And the Lord said to him, Therefore, whoever kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. And the Lord set a mark on Cain, lest anyone finding him should kill him. There are several lessons to be learned from this short passage. And the first lesson is that the brothers were being tested just as Adam and Eve, their parents, had been tested. Both knew what the requirements of God were in this matter of sacrifice. They both knew. The plan of salvation had been explained to both of them alike. Both of them knew the significance of the required sacrifice. The difference was that Cain's obedience was only partial, while Abel's was total obedience. I want you to notice verse 4. This is our text, Genesis 4, verse 4. Verse 4 says, God had respect unto Abel and to his offering. It doesn't say that the respect was for the offering only. It wasn't per se the offering that was the issue with Cain. It was instead the heart of Cain who brought the offering that made the difference. It was his heart. God accepted Abel's offering because he accepted Abel. And he accepted Abel because Abel rendered complete obedience to God's instruction and brought the appropriate sacrifice. His will was in harmony with God's will. Kind of reminds you of Micah 6, verse 6 and 7. What does the Lord require of you but to walk humbly with God? That is, that you walk in obedience to God's will. And that's what Cain wanted, or that's what Abel wanted. Now look at verse 5, the next text. Genesis 4, verse 5. But unto Cain and to his offering, he had not respect. Now the Hebrew word 
implies that this respect was a physical respect of some kind. I don't know exactly what it was, but it may have been like uh, Elijah on Mount Carmel. Maybe God sent fire down from heaven and consumed Abel's offering. That may be what it was, I just don't know. But there was a physical respect of some kind. And uh, <clears throat> it may have been that this fire came down from heaven, consumed Abel's offering, but that nothing happened to Cain's offering when he gave his vegetables. Now I ask you, how would you have felt if you saw the fire come down and consume the offering? and nothing happened to your offering. How would you have felt? What would you have done? It seems to me that the most logical thing to do would be to consider why your sacrifice had not been accepted, and then to make whatever changes were necessary to make sure that your offering would be consumed by the Lord's fire like your brother's. This would be true, especially after being risen with by the Lord and also by his brother Abel. They reasoned with him, bring the proper offering, but he did not. According to verse 8, it was obvious that his brother's sacrifice had been accepted, but his had not. Wouldn't you want to know why yours had not been accepted and your brother's had I think that's the logical thing. But all it did was just make Cain angry and more rebellious. He felt that God's requirements were unjust, and he became bitter because God would not accept a substitute sacrifice. There was no sorrow over the fact that he was wrong. There was no spirit of self-examination, no prayer for light and pardon. But this, you see, is the nature of a sinful, unrepentant heart. Instead of melting under correction and reproof, instead of heeding the voice of God that speaks to it, the unrepentant heart becomes harder and harder and even more rebellious. <clears throat> now, let's make a spiritual application of this lesson. What would it be? Might it be that we also are tested to prove our faithfulness to the will of God? And how can God know our hearts except by obedience, except by a proper sacrifice? How else can he know? And when we do not always prove faithful, he often reasons together with us. Isaiah 1 verse 18. Isaiah 1 verse 18. Come now. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be wool. And may I suggest that to reject his correction and reproof is to have a heart like Cain's. It is to harden our hearts. We must not shun God's efforts to reach us and to transform our hearts into a proper sacrifice to God. First John 3, verse 12, talks about that. First John 3, verse 12. 
not as Cain who was of the wicked one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his works were evil and his brother's righteous. Cain, you see, did not kill Abel because of any wrong thing that Abel had done, probably not even out of jealousy. He killed his brother because his own works were evil. The fact that his brother's works were righteous only made him guilty and more palpable, angry, until he finally reached a point where he couldn't deal with it anymore. And instead of allowing God to work in his heart, he killed his brother. The more Cain hardened his heart, the more righteous his brother's life appeared. And it became a greater and greater rebuke to him. John chapter 3, verse 20. John chapter 3, verse 20. Everyone that doeth evil hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his own deeds should be reproved. One of the modern trends in religion, I believe, is that the world and the church are polarizing. As we get closer and closer to the end of time, the church will become more spiritual. The church will understand scripture better and apply the truths of the word more diligently. It will refine itself more and more as the end gets closer and closer. The world, on the other hand, will become more, will, more worldly. There will be an increase in crime and in violence <clears throat> and in degradation and in immorality. And what happened with Cain and Abel, I believe, was just a type of what's going to happen with the church and the world, the godly and the ungodly, only on a far greater scale. <coughs> Excuse me. The purity of God's people, when they reflect the image of Jesus perfectly, will do two things. Number one, it will bring about a shaking in the church, and the church will be sifted. And number two, it will bring on that time of trouble such as never was since there was a nation. Listen to my favorite author. The brighter the heavenly light that is reflected from the character of God's faithful servants, the more clearly the sins of the ungodly are revealed and the more determined will be their efforts to destroy those who disturb their peace. May I suggest that the reason the church does not now suffer persecution might just be that it is still too much like the world. The difference between the church and the world is not yet as readily apparent as it should be and will be. In verse 13, Cain said, My punishment is greater than I can bear. And from that statement, we learn that evil is, all, is always ultimately punished and that it is always greater than we can bear. And in a story, the punishment was indeed great. The ground was now cursed a second time. It would even produce less now than when Adam and Eve sinned and had it cursed. 
and now it would, re it would require greater effort and there would be fewer results. Work would become a real burden and a relatively unproductive one at that. And Cain would also now have to roam the earth <clears throat> in constant fear of his fellow man and his livelihood would be in jeopardy. He was by trade a tiller of the ground, but a nomad on the run cannot be a successful farmer. It's just not fruitful to plant and then move away or run away before you can harvest the crop. My punishment is greater than I can bear, he cried. The biblical promise to the righteous, however, is that when we get to the kingdom, we will never again plant and have someone else bring in the harvest. But far and away, the worst part of the punishment was that he had now severed himself from God. Verse 14 says, And from thy face shall I be hid. A great cloud covered his soul, and he could not penetrate it. God was no longer present to him. What a terrible thing to be separated from the presence of God. It is far and away the worst part of the curse. In the book of Matthew, Jesus speaks about those who do not reach the kingdom. And he talks about outer darkness, where there is weeping and wailing and a gnashing of teeth. But that's all that's left for those who have ultimately separated themselves from God, a vast wasteland with no hope and weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. But the lesson must be learned. Evil cannot be practiced without reward. For sin, there is a resultant punishment. The Bible says that whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. And the punishment that we, that we reap is, more often than not, greater than what we can bear. The little lady with the red books makes the point. Who can know, she says, in the moment of temptation, the terrible consequences that will result from one wrong step? Our punishment may be more than we can bear but it is not greater than we deserve. Whatever punishment Cain received, it was much less than what he deserved. Because in the day that you eat thereof, you shall surely die. The Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Perhaps if we were to understand the ultimate punishment for evil, evil we would be less prone to do it. But then I suspect not. For now, like Cain, we have a fallen nature. And that fallen nature makes us unable to adjust and to correct our judgment. But there is also an antidote for our punishment. And that is that the Christ the Lord would crush the head of the serpent. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. Jesus has borne our punishment. 1 Peter 2, verse 24. Who his own self bore sin, our sins, in his own body 
on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, by whose stripes we are healed. And now we come to our conclusion. And in our conclusion, we are back to the two offerings, for this is precisely what it's all about. Abel's offering showed that he accepted the sacrifice that Christ would pay on the tree, and Cain did not. Abel's offering was a blood sacrifice, and Cain's was bloodless. And the Bible says, without the shedding of blood, there is no remission of sin. It is precisely the difference between righteousness by faith and righteousness by works. Hebrews 11, verse 4. Hebrews 11, verse 4. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. Abel grasped the great principle of redemption. He saw himself as a sinner, and he realized that the penalty for sin is death. Seeking life, he brought the slain victim, the sacrificial lamb, to the altar. Through the shed blood, he looked forward to the future sacrifice of the death of Christ on Calvary's cross. And trusting in the atonement that was there to be made, he had the witness that his offering was accepted, and he was therefore saved by grace. Listen again to my favorite author. Cain, Cain came before God with murmuring and infidelity in his heart in regard to the promised sacrifice and the necessity of the sacrificial offering. His gift expressed no penitence for sin. He felt, as many now feel, that it would be an acknowledgment of weakness to follow the exact plan marked out by God of trusting his salvation wholly to the atonement of the promised Savior. He chose the course of self-dependence. He would come in his own merits. He would not bring the lamb and mingle its blood with his offering, but respect, but would present only his fruits, the product of his labor. He presented his offering as a favor done to God through which he expected to secure the divine approval. <clears throat> And here's where the point is made. Listen again. Cain and Abel represent two classes that will exist in the world till the close of time. One class avails themselves of the appointed sacrifice for sin. The other venture to, de to depend upon their own merits. Theirs is a sacrifice without the virtue of divine mediation. And thus, it is not able to bring man into favor with God. It is only through the merits of Jesus that our transgression can be pardoned. Those who feel no need of the blood of Christ, who feel that without divine grace they can by their own works secure the approval of God are making the same mistake that Cain did. If they do not accept the cleansing blood, they are under, under condemnation. There is no other provision made whereby they can, they can be released from the thraldom of sin. The class of worshipers who follow the example of Cain includes by far the greater portion of the world 
for nearly every religion nearly every religion has been based on the same principle that man can depend on his own efforts for salvation father the lessons in this story are great we can only depend on, on a blood sacrifice without the shedding of blood there is no remission of sin Cain saw that when he brought his offering he realized that the redeemer mentioned in Genesis 3.15 would crush the serpent's head but would give his life on the cross to redeem him and all mankind. Help us, we pray, to accept that offering in Jesus' name.